Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Live online, this is The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Hello and welcome. This episode is all about Mike Dean where Mark Chapman sits down to chat to the now former Premier League referee to go through his extraordinary career. He tells Chappers how he started in the lower leagues and rose to the very top and lets us in on a few secrets along the way, like who were his favourite players to the manager he feared the most. Enjoy. In everything that I was reading and listening about you before I did this interview, it struck me that in, in a lot of the interviews that you did or podcasts, you say that on the way home from games, you listen to a lot of radio or you watch a lot of telly when you get home. Yeah. So do I need to say sorry before we... No, because I was away last week in Spain and I heard you doing the, <laughs> the podcast on the Monday night and it was okay, so you, you, you were good to be there. But I thought that was really interesting that yeah. you, you listen and watch stuff after you've refereed. Yeah. I think that when I drive home from games, I think that... We kind of text each other refs and see what's going on and what to think of this penalty, what to think of that. Then you'll hear the radios on Talk Sport and, and Five Live and they'll say, oh, there's clearly missed a penalty kick. It's a clear stick on red card. Do you watch it much of anything? It's not even anywhere near. But it just makes conversation and people listen in and people phone in. And have a got the refs, have a got the officials, the players and everything. But it's just a way of trying to learn. And when you do get home and you watch the game on Match Today or on Sky, you kind of watch the games well, maybe I could have done something different. Yes, that was a pen. Why haven't I got the penalty decision right? And then try and get it right for the week after. So you can take it? Oh, I can take it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind the, the criticism. They're going to say stick. I don't mind the criticism. Part and parcel of the game. Now, people are going to criticise me whether they do good, whether they do bad, but that's part of my learning process as well. Have you always been able to take um, the er criticism? Early, early doors, no, because I was just starting and coming along. I used to drive home sometimes, get a bit depressed and read newspapers and think, oh, Craig, I've only got a five in the sun, nightmare. <laughs> I've, had a, I've had an awful game. What happens is just the way it marks, but you think yourself, when I used to work for a living on the series, I used to go into a, when I used to work at the chicken factory, you say, oh, you only got a four this weekend, it's a nightmare. <laughs> had a great game. People just think because they read what's in the press, that, that's what it comes across. But I can, I can take the criticism. I do learn a hell of a lot from, from watching stuff as well. But, but in those early days when you were getting it, I know you can laugh a little bit yeah. about it. What, what were your coping mechanisms then? Because... You know, we often hear that we probably do lose a lot of referees early on in their yeah. careers because of media and fans and abuse and criticism. The group we had at the time we first got on, we it's the first professional group that was on in, in 2000, it was 20, 23 or 24 of us, I think. We had a really good group. I used to feed off other people. I wasn't friendly with Graham Paul at the time. 
used to be good friends with Chris Foy and people like that and I used to speak to Chris on a regular basis we used to talk to each other on the way home in a car and try and just like work out what you're going to do next and we did have p good people in place when we first started off Philip Don then run the, sh run the show so to speak and, and because I was new I think I knew I was struggling I kind of spoke to him quite more on a regular basis and um, uh, kind of turned the corner Have you taken that role on as you have become more senior for the newer ones coming yeah, through? I mean, the new guys have only been on for a year. We had like five or six guys the last couple of years. I speak to them now and again, not on the phone as much because I think they're trying to get used to who, who they can trust, who they can speak to. If you know what I mean, they've got their own band of friends that, that, that they're looking after. And there's people obviously within the refereeing organisation that we have that are mentoring them. I'm not mentoring one of those guys, so they're probably feeding off their mentors more than feeding off me. But that mentoring has to be important, doesn't oh, I think it? It's, it's massively important. We never really had it when I was when I first got on, but I think now it goes from like the Premier League all the way down to National League and even lower than that. There's there's mentors. We kind of try and mentor referees in the lower leagues as well. We've got guys in the Premier League also mentoring guys in in the level five and level six, are trying to get guys coming through into the into the conference and, and obviously better than that. So as you sit here after 22 years mm. on the top list, yeah. how do you reflect back? I think I reflect back that to be in the, the position I've been in for the last 22 years, I must have done something right, even though a lot of supporters would have thought I've done quite a lot of things wrong. Um, I'm quite proud of my achievement, to be honest with you. I get quite emotional sometimes that people kind of have a go at you because you've made a mistake, but it's part and parcel. Striker misses an open goal, he doesn't get as much stick as what I would do by maybe missing a penalty call, you know. So, uh, But I think I'm so proud of what I've done over 20, 22 years and 550-odd games and the probably... I don't know, maybe 40, 50 mistakes, massive mistakes, which is not a lot if you think we make over 200 decisions a game. So I'm quite proud of my achievement. That's, um, that's 20 years at the top. I mean, your refereeing career started a yeah. long time before that. Yeah, and and we, we often yeah. hear about elite athletes and their battle to get to the top yeah. and their sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Take me through how you started and then how you progressed, because there are sacrifices here. Yeah, I basically started in 85 when I, I finished school, put on loads of weight and didn't have a job for six months, so I thought, what can I do to keep fit? I like football. I was a goalkeeper, so obviously I wasn't the most mobile of people when I was younger. <laughs> I was 18, 19 stone when I left school. I was huge. I was, well, yeah. I was a big lad, yeah. So I kind of sought myself out with me fitness-wise, started doing a bit of refereeing, went from there, done other local leagues, and I was lucky enough to get on the football league in football league line in 95. Two years in 95 and then Football League middle in 97. Three years there and then the Premier League. So it was a long road. I mean, it's a lot shorter now. I think if you start the same age as what I did, 17, you can progress a lot quicker because the, the opportunity there was before it probably wasn't as many opportunities. But it's, it's, it was a tough road back then, but it's one I was uh, happy to get on with. That 95 period, you're also working in the chicken factory yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. so your, your days... Well, were, were ridiculous. I was up at half four, in for five. Five half five, used to work probably between six and, and two o'clock, finish my shift at two, get in the car, drive maybe to, I don't know, even football league, still on the line football league, drive to Carlisle, run the line to yeah. Carlisle, get on for three in the morning, then go straight back in at five. So, uh, it, was, it was tough, but... Why? Because I love the job. So I would, I would never change... Even in the early, early years when it had to work and then football wasn't full-time because it wasn't a full-time profession then, I had to do it because I just love the job. I just love football from, like, ever. When you started out then as, as using refereeing to get fit, how tough was refereeing at amateur level? Because like, one of the things we get, you know, often gets thrown, if we criticise a professional ref, it feeds down mm -hmm. to, to amateur football and pub football and, and kids football. How tough did you find amateur refereeing? I found it tough 
uh, very, very early because I only used to do the kids' football in the 16s because if you want to get promoted, you used to have to referee on a Saturday and I couldn't ref on a Saturday because obviously I had another love on a Saturday watching Tramia, so I used to watch them home and away all the time. So I had to make a sacrifice then of like not refing on the... watching football on a Saturday, refing on a Saturday, which, which was fine. Sunday football was tough, though. We used to... Birkenhead Sunday League I used to come through, which is a real tough league, really, really tough league, hard league, but a really good solid league. And I kind of got on there on 17-18, and kind of looked at me as a bit of a big lad, as I said before, but I kind of knuckled down, got myself fit. I Did you get a stick for that? Uh, yeah, uh, be, be, because a little bit, yeah. yeah. But, that, but that's just because I was new at it. I didn't really know how you had to look to be a referee, yeah. you know, so trimmed down a little bit, obviously, and then done a bit more refereeing in the, in the Birkenhead Sunday League. And the more you, you referee every week, you're doing the bigger teams in the Premier Leagues in the, in the Birkenhead Sunday League. Players get to know who you are. Because I was quite a young lad, I kind of got on with quite a few other guys as well, which was good. So but it was a tough learning curve to start with, but one that, uh, that I... I'll be in good stead for the future. Did you have to use your wits? A little bit, yeah. I didn't. I wasn't as, as witty as I am now. Because, <laughs> to, to be fair, but, 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 but that kind of comes with, with with experience. I think you know you can kind of say one or two off the cuff remarks now, but I couldn't do it when I first started refereeing. Didn't know. So when I first got in the Premier League in two thousand, couldn't say to players then what I can do now because I would never get away with it. But I can get away with it now. But but that's a really I, I think person as an amateur pub footballer. Yeah. I used to love the referees that would give it back to you yeah. a little bit because you then create a relationship it's not it doesn't become us the team against you the ref then i think over 20 years you, you kind of earn a reputation of, of, of being a, a good referee as i said before without you know praising my own ability for being on the well you have to be a good referee to have refereed at the top for, for, for 20 22 years, years i'm, I'm more than happy be. i'm, I'm yeah. chuffed to pieces i think the players i've refereed over the years some don't like me some do like me some don't like the way i approach games some do like the way i approach games and when I give players a bit of stick back or give a one-liner back and they don't like it, if they get upset about it, I will apologise five minutes later and say, look, sorry if I said before, let's just move on, shake hands. And we, um, that just does happen. But I think players like the way a ref players will give me because they know they can give me some stuff and I can give them back and they can kind of get away with it within, within the, the boundaries that's allowed. Yeah, well, how much do you allow them to give it back I, to you? I allow quite a lot. Do you? Yeah. Probably more than I should, but I'm more of a, how should we say, a management kind of referee than a, than a stickler referee. Well, that's important, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I think the players have kind of got to understand that if they're going to give me some stick and I'm going to give them some stick, if they say one thing out of turn, I can't just go right yellow card because I've kind of lost the battle then. Yeah. Is, is there a boundary? Yeah, I think it's a boundary if it goes personal, but it never really goes personal, to be fair. You know, it's, it's, you get the odd, the odd quip in there, which I can't really say, which with being on TV. But there's one or two you can come back at the, at the players and they're more than happy to, to take it on and move on. Final whistle goes to shake hands. You know, good afternoon, well done, shake hands, walk off. Have a chat about what we said and just park it and move on away to the next time. Is the referee Mike Dean that we have seen, say, over the last five years, the most experienced part of your career, the last yeah, five years, yeah. is that the real Mike Dean? Yeah. If I was talking to your daughter, would she say, that's definitely my dad refereeing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. It's like I referee how I am. I don't go out and do it like dead regimental. It's black and white. I've, I've got a grey area in between when I referee, so I, can, no, I don't bend the rules. I do the rules as, as I'm, I'm supposed to do, but I can get a bit of leeway. I, but I just love what I do. I just love it. So, therefore, when you're starting out, do we need to cut young referees, do you think, a little bit of slack? Because they're not necessarily refereeing as themselves. They're refereeing maybe how they think they ought to referee. Agreed, yeah. I think you do. I think because they've got, they've got to do the hard work early. And when they get to where I've got over the football league guys have got, they can like relax a little bit, but they've got to put the groundwork in early to, to get some kind of good reputation at the level of refereeing. It's interesting that you said that there's, you're not black and white, 
that there are grey areas. And the media often talk about consistency. Yeah. Graham Pohl once said to me, I referee each match differently, because I, I have to manage each match differently. 100%, yeah. Refereeing at the time, Manchester United, Arsenal at Old Trafford, is very different to refereeing Fulham against Coventry. Correct. Yeah, I think you've, you've, you've got to manage each occasion. I'm, I'm consistent every week when I referee, but every referee is different because they're consistent in what they do. I can only be consistent with my performance week in, week out. Other referees might not do the same as what I do, but that's just how I come across and, and how I want to referee. Well, game. that's the important that you're consistent to yourself. To myself, yeah. So we did one thing one week, do something completely different the week after. I'm thinking, so why have I done that that week and not the week after? I need to look at myself then and wonder why I've done it. You talked about being a game manager then. So how, how much research do you do before a game into who you're refereeing? Well, when we get the games to on a Monday afternoon, I know my two linesmen are, or my assistants, what they call now, old school linesmen, <laughs> assistants. So, what I use, I usually with the same two or three guys throughout the season, so I usually get one of the guys to look after the home team, one guy to look after the away team, just go through set-piece corners, I'll do the same thing myself, and when we meet in the hotel, four hours before the game, we'll chat about it and, and see what we... I'll think of what the game plan is. I mean, I've been into dressing rooms before now, years ago, before we used, We get the colours through now on, a, on an email every week. When we first used to go to the grounds, maybe 10 years ago, we used to go into each dressing room, what colour you're wearing, and we decide what colour we're wearing. Right. You used to go into, I remember going to a dressing room once, I won't say the team, and the, the team was on the board, referee on the bottom, we used to say, Mike Dean, red card so many, yellow card so many this season, penalties, doesn't like holding, shirt pulling corners, and that was on the, on the sheet for the, all the players to look at. So they're doing homework on us, so we're doing exactly the same homework on them. And therefore, going into games, you then know where flashpoints might be? Yeah, we don't go, go in there to preempt what's going to go on, but you, you know, if, if some, some, some of that occurs where somebody attacks stood on the goalkeeper's feet, well, he's, as, the, as the keeper moving, he just puts his hand behind the back. If we're aware of what's going on, he just flags up. And obviously now with the introduction of VAR, we can also use the VAR referee as a, as a, as a help as well at corners. Did you, so for, nowadays, you don't go into dressing rooms no. pre-match? No, not at all. But you used to? We used to. Just to go for colours so we knew what we were wearing, right. go to speak to the players, that just doesn't happen. Rugby Union, for example, the head coaches, if memory serves me right, head coaches have a meeting with the officials the yeah. day before. Yeah. Now, that's internationals and they don't come along yeah. very often, you know, Six Nations or Autumn Internationals. Would that help? I don't think it helped the day before. I think, obviously, the guys who go abroad refereeing Champions League stuff, I've been off the international scene for seven years, but we used to go to meet in the morning of the game, we used to have a club representative there, go through what we expect from the game do the circles sh and stuff like that which everything was fine but I don't think it'd work over here I think the players are more focused on the game of football not what I'm going to say to them we, we give messages to managers or coaches an hour before the game what we expect of them if that message gets back fine if it doesn't get back then there's nothing we can do when that uh, board in the room had number of red cards number of yellow cards doesn't well, it's, like it's gone up since then well, well I'm going to come on to that yeah. in a minute because there's one season you went berserk and I couldn't quite work out why well, I'll come on to that in a minute but did it also say you know likes to let the ball go through his legs or no, has uh, that, mannerisms that's, that's, is that that's only happened last five or six years I think so that's kind of yeah so. why I don't know just, just it is what it is isn't it so I just enjoy it if I'm in the way I'm not going to jump out of over the bum just let it go through me <laughs> why not you enjoy it haven't you did you realise that I'd started to I mean, you as a ref, right, yeah. you've appeared more on Too Good, Too Bad than any other referee. Oh, I have. Yeah. <laughs> have, you got, have, you, have you got your stats <laughs> no, on that? Right. So, 
Did you realise that had started to become a thing? No, not really. Oh, come on, you must have, no. <laughs> you must yeah. have done PA. A, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it, it, just, it is what it is, and I, I just love, I don't think, not that I want to be involved in the game, I'm not like a frustrated footballer, I'm not, but... If well, it, we it, all are, aren't if we? If the ball comes near me or goes to my legs, then goes to my legs, so be it. Okay, so there was that one. Let's get them all. Out. So we'll get yeah. them all out of the way at this stage. How long have we got? Uh, well, we've got we've got a few minutes on it. Ball up, ball up the back of the shirt. Yeah, that that was, yeah, that was just a spare. That was literally spare the moment. When did that happen first? Aguero was Aguero, it? Aguero? Yeah, he was looking for the ball. I thought, well, lads, I just put some <laughs> in the shirt. So I said, I haven't got it. I said, no, no, I couldn't get the ball out of the shirt because the shirt was too tight. So. <laughs> Right, but that now happens every time someone scores a hat trick. It doesn't happen very often. It happened again. I think you did it with hat. Did you do it with Harry Kane? I know, did it was somebody else because you mentioned that. Yeah. He said, oh, that's Mike Dean's usual trick. Uh, yeah, I'm just here again. again. So, <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> look, I'm, look, I've spent a whole career doing the same gags over and over, so don't worry about it. You can keep doing it. Fine. So you've only done it two or three times? Yeah. yeah. Okay. The no look yellow card. No idea where that come from. And I, th I think what it might have done. Because I said before years ago, when I first started refereeing, my confidence was as good as what it is now. So I never used to have players in the eye, which is probably really bad when they give right. a yellow card because you should look them in the eye. And I kind of like giving somebody a yellow card and someone gives a bit of stick to me right. So I've kind of probably looked one way and just gone like that, and it's, it's just happened. So that, in many ways, that was out of insecurity. That isn't out of arrogance. That's yeah. out of insecurity. Yeah. 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 I get accused of being arrogant sometimes as well, but that's more, I think, of a confidence as well. I've got a bit of arrogance about my referee. I know that I know I have, and people say that I have. But it's a lot of confidence in my game as well. Because so I trust what I do, and it comes across I'm a very confident referee, which also comes across I've got a bit of arrogance about me. But I think I need to have that when I'm refereeing. I think every referee doesn't every referee do, actually Probably. doesn't every performer so. needs some element of arrogance when do. they are actually performing. You do because otherwise you're going to get walked all over all the time. So you need to have a bit of a bit of thick skin, a bit arrogant about you sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to do it and move along, as I said before, and you can like diss somebody off and then have to go back and apologise. I wasn't being arrogant, but or you might say something to pay, oh, you're arrogant, you are. I wasn't, it's just how it's come out wrong. Because sometimes I get frustrated on the, on the pitch, I'm trying to get my words out there quick to players and trying to explain one thing to one, one thing to another. It comes out completely wrong way, I have to go and apologise, which I show my hand up and always do. Is it important during a game to apologise? Do you? I think it is, yeah. yeah. Because something might happen five or ten minutes later, they haven't apologised to the guy. And what you don't want to do during the game is leave a player upset. Never come away from an incident leaving a player upset or angry because you know for well the next time something does happen, it'll be your fault if you get to second yellow guard. You need to calm him down before you leave. Is the no look yellow still a Oh, it's still in. Yeah, not it's every time because that'll no. be overdoing it a no, little but bit. We have, well, we don't have a bit of a game. Some of, the lads, <laughs> some of the lads are on the line sometimes, so you've got to get one in. So if I go back to that and how it first started, yeah. when you were first starting out, I'm not saying certain players intimidated you, but there were some players had such a big presence that I you felt it harder to referee them. I think I was got, got in the Premier League in 2000, it was 31, 32, and you had massive. Big personality players, the Keens and, and people like that, Vieiras, they were all around then. And for me to come from like football league to Premier League and refereeing them players from going from like refereeing League One and League Two and the odd championship game to being in the Premier League, it's just a massive step. And I was probably in awe of them as well, to be fair. Yeah. Probably a bit nervous and a bit scared of like making a decision. Uh, I, I, I have to say, be. I think a lot yeah, of people in so. that situation will be, wouldn't they? But the more you refer them, it easier does be because they know what you like. And yes, I think first two or three years when I was on, I, I dished red cards and yellow cards. That was probably more than I probably ever had. But that's because lack of man management, lack of 
trust in what I'm doing, I think, when I first go on, because you've got to kind of, you've got to be hard the first two or three years to get some kind of reputation. It's not worth going in and being the same referee it was in the Football League and the Premier League, because the standards are huge. You've got to put your personality and stamp your authority down when you first get a new job, like any job you do. You yeah. can't just go and just be an easy target. So I had to work over the first two or three years, and then after a bit you can let a little bit go. See, that's interesting again, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. that, uh, that if a new referee comes in and they'll probably dish out more yellows or reds or be stricter mm -hmm. than, than you will now. Yeah. But then on the other hand, that means we're looking at games being refereed differently because of where people are in their career yeah. step. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with the first year football league guys. They go on in League One and League Two. That The first year is always a tough year because nobody knows who they are. The, the, man, the manager and players will know it's his first year. You think once you've done the groundwork in your first year, you're saying it should be easier. Your second year is probably the hardest one because you've kind of made a yeah. reputation. You've got to kind of keep that reputation going. And come the third year, then you can probably ease the reins a little bit. Those early years, you finish refereeing a game, mm -hmm. you go into your room, yeah. and then you're sitting there, are you waiting for the managers to come into your yeah, room? Yeah, we have, we have half an hour cut off if need be. And yeah. you know, I've had many managers come in and have a chat expressed his views of my very good performance during the afternoon they just left on happy turn. Can you remember the first time you were sitting in a room waiting for Alex Ferguson to walk in? Yes, I, think, I, think, I can't remember what it was, but he, he does come in. And, and to be fair, he used to get a lot of stick to Alex when he, when he was the manager because he used to say, oh, he used to always come in the dressing room and bang the door down. He never really used to come in, to be fair. He used to come in now and again to, to like express his views if something's gone really, really bad but he wasn't as bad as what people made out to him to be, to be fair. Do you find most of them, after a half-hour cooling-off period, yeah. when they come in, are in a more reasonable mood yeah, to I talk? Do. I do. Well, one thing, we have to give them half an hour cut-off, even now. But I do say to managers and coaches at the end of the game, because of the way time and media, I understand that people have got to do things for, for, for TV, obviously. I said, if you need something clarifying before you go and do the written press or, or the, the sit-down press at half-past five, by all means, knock on my door and I will come out and meet them, especially with the COVID times. Now I've got to stare around there and yeah. explain what I've done. The last thing I want managers to do is go on the TV and say something that's wrong in law, or they say that's going to upset them and they get a phone call off the FA the following day with a, can you please explain what you've, what you've just said, which is, I'm trying to help in a roundabout way. I think we all do, to be fair, all the rest of it. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, that implies that you are all in it together. Yeah, we are. I think the group we've got now is probably, I think it's probably one of the best groups we've had for a long, long time, group of referees. I do think it's... When I first got when we had the big personalities on in 2000, that was just different then. I think we've all been as a group together for probably eight, nine years. Guys come in, we've got five or six new guys come on last year, but I think the group's pretty, a pretty tight group, to be honest. Because you are competitive, I mean, you are competing with each other as well, yeah, we aren't you? We all, we all want the big games, we all, we all want the big games, we all, and then if one gets a big game, I'll say, well, how come you've got that game and I haven't got it? I will, I will ask the question just for a laugh to see what they say, <laughs> but, but you, you've got to ask the question because we are competitive and we, we want the best for each other. You know, some guys work in teams, some guys don't work in teams, but we all want the best games week in, week out. But you can't referee game every week. You, you have got to have a break. You have got to be for the fish one week. You have got to be VAR one week. You can't referee every single weekend. So what happens? Are you all on an email group? And, no, and we, an email comes through and these are your games? We get an email with our game, but we also right. we get a full list of everybody's fixtures for the one week, yeah. Um, do you enjoy being fourth official? Yeah, I don't mind it, to be fair. It looks like the most thankless, horrible role that you could possibly have it in come, football. It, come, it comes across that way, but it's not. I think, again, because I've been on for so long, I know most managers, most, and I can talk to them as normal people. Some guys who come on and be fourth official for the first or second time, referee or being fourth man for a bigger team, it's tough to communicate with the managers because they haven't refereed them. Because I referee them on a regular basis, 
they know I am, so it, it does help me. But for some, it's like the fourth official is just there as a verbal punch bag for 90 minutes. Yeah, not name names, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can be, but, that, but as a fourth, you've then got to manage that situation yourself. You can't just say, well, look, you've overstepped the mark, you need to, like, step back or what, and then you've just got to give them as good as you get with it around about. That's right. another one of your characteristics, by the way, the occasional eye, eye roll in the, in the oh, fourth official after. Tell me about it. <coughs> I try not to make contact with, like, I was at Everton the other week, I was in Newcastle when I think the player got sent off, and he was there giving me stick, and I just, what's the point of making eye contact because you just make it worse? Yeah. He's got to go, so he'll go. And then the VAR. Yeah. Did you enjoy doing the VAR aspect of it? Never used to. When it first come in, I used to hate it, hate it. I had a run-in with the bosses about it, it just wasn't for me. We used to do like stuff here at St George's Park yeah. with like mock incidents. I can't referee fake football, I've got to do proper football. So you have to look for a decision, find a penalty kick, then go up the street. And it was all part of the learning curve to get it right, but I hated it because I'd refereed for 19 years without someone telling me, somebody else telling me and me what I've got to do. So it's really, really strange. The newer guys coming through, it's easy for them. But I have found over the last two or three years, it's helped me. 100%. Because I'd rather be sent to the screen and get the right decision than drive home and get the wrong decision and then be battered in the press. So, w did you hate it in both roles? Did you, did you hate being in the middle with the earpiece and hearing them? Mm -hmm. Or did you hate being in Stockley Park and both. having to talk to... Both to start with. I didn't like telling one of my mates who got it wrong. And it is tough. It is really tough. But I think now, as I said before, because we're quite lucky the group that we've got, that we've all been involved. The, all the guys that are on now, apart from the five new guys, have all been involved with the VR since it's come in. And we all know what we've got to do in the job. And we'll, I think everybody's quite happy now to be sent to the screen, to stick with your decision or to have a turn your decision. And that's, that's, it's just a way forward. It's never, I know people say, no, get rid of VR. It's never going to go away because it's involved in UEFA tournaments and FIFA tournaments. So if our referees want to get on, it's always going to be here. But, but on a couple of those things then, now, when you are told, mm -hmm. go to the screen, are you immediately thinking, I've got to overturn this? I because would, because would what, say has it happened once? I don't know. I'd say 90% you're probably going to overturn it because you've got one, made one decision, split second, they've probably got five or six cameras, different angles, they can slow it down, then look at it again. They're not going to send you over if they don't think you've made a mistake. They're not going to send you over just because they don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to have done it a few times. Only joke, only joke. God, I'm so tempted to say, who would you like to send over to a VAR? Couldn't script? possibly tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's there, it's there for a reason. And like, players are kind of getting their heads around it now that you know, if we go where the players think we're always going to change our decision. Yeah. And we probably are because we're getting sent over because we've been told we've made a clear and obvious mistake, which I understand that. And I'm more than happy now to move on and, and get involved with it. it invariably, and I don't want this whole chat to be about VAR, I, just have, I do have a few questions on that. Invariably, we think that when you go over to the monitor, let's say it's a, you're going to review a possible red card, yeah. that the freeze frame, and I've no idea whether the cameras can capture this, and I don't want to like two-foot you or anything, but the freeze frame is normally mm. right on the point of yeah. impact. Is that fair that that's the first thing no, you... No, but I think the process we have to go through is they have to show us the point of contact, which is fine, then they show us the no at normal speed, and then they show a different angle at normal speed. So once we know where the point of contact is, we then get the bigger picture of where he's coming from, his travel at speed, intensity, and danger to the player's safety. If he scores him just above the ankle, and we see the still first, and then you see the speed and intensity coming, it's a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer. Because sometimes the, the, the game's happening that quick, and the tackle going that quick, ball breaks away, you give a free kick, they'll go yellow card there. But you're unsure. It's not worth going red card and guessing. You've got to go yellow card, minimum, and then mm. if it gets upgraded, it gets upgraded. 
who drives that process more? Are you are you in the middle game? Do you know what? I might be unsure on that. I we we can tell the guys what we think. I said I'm going to go yellow because you've got to make an on-field decision first before the VR gets involved. So if I go yellow card, the on-field decision, I'll hear the VR saying on-field decision is a yellow card, which is fine. You then go look at the process. I can say to me, I think it's a yellow card for me, but I'm not too sure. If you can have a look at something, he will also say, "Dear, I'm just going to check serious foul play challenge, etc., etc." I've gone yellow card. Don't restart play till we look at it. Dean, I've looked at it again. You need to go look at the monitor. I think I'm going to show you the decision. You say you're quite comfortable with it now. Would, yeah. would you say it goes back to the dynamics within the refereeing group and seniority? Would you say at times that seniority or dynamics can affect yeah, communication? I, I, I think it can. I, yeah. I, I think that you could have a lesser, less experienced referee <laughs> trying to send me over to the screen. Yeah. Without, again, without being begetted. No, 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 no. We've, guy, we've discussed this I've, on air. I've been on for 20 years, and the guy who's been on for two or three years says, Dean, and he's got to look at the screen. Yeah. Red card. I'm thinking, I've been on for 20 years here. But there's a reason he sent me over because I made a clear and obvious mistake, which is fine. I think once we get out the, the, the mindset of seniority of who's refereeing and who's not refereeing, we're all in there as match officials. We've got the decision right on the day, which we hopefully will get to do. The, the whole point of this is not to go through specific incidents, but this incident then leads me on to another question. The Suchek. Mitrovic red card from a yeah. couple of years ago. Yeah. When you were looking at the screen, can you talk me through that process? I've seen the decision on the field, on the field, and I was more than happy to, to go yellow. I think about yellow card. Yeah, you can yeah. do anything. Yeah. And then all the players were happy. And then I think I've said to the VR, I think the players are comfortable, and Mitrovic has kind of overreacted a bit. Or, 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 you know, yes, yeah, oh, he has. Yeah, and I'm happy with the yeah. yellow card. Then you wait a bit, and all of a sudden you hear the VR saying, "You need to look at the screen. You need to show you something." There's been a a movement of the player, I think it was a face or a puncher, can't quite remember. He, he just kind of put his elbow so he's, he's useful. Once he had his useful, it's yeah. in the pitches. And I'm kind of going over thinking it's not. Very, very hard to stick with the on-field decision when he gets sent to I said before, it's very, very hard, but I wish I had off. So it would have saved me a hell of a lot of trouble I had off the pitch off that game as well. Yeah, and therefore that brings us full circle to, oh, you can take the joke and criticism and stuff. But it got dark after yeah, that, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, it wasn't good. So, But it was just... Um, it was just stuff that I, I drove on the, on, the, on the Saturday and then my daughter's obviously she's had some stuff through because she's on social media, I'm not. Mm. She got death threats. They, they said they knew where we live, we're going to um, petrol bomb your house, that kind of stuff. So it was pretty, pretty bad to be fair. So I told the Premier League, the Premier League got police involved. I reported to the police, police come round. And, and to be fair, sometimes you, you try and keep it hush-hush because you don't want people to know. But my wife said, just let's get out there and let people know what's going on. You know, so we are, you know, players get grief, they get threats that you see all the stuff that's happening now with the players getting their houses built and stuff like that yeah. so you know we need a bit more protection and I think that because um, I made it quite public and luckily enough for me I think they found who the people were I think the people in Ireland so they, they traced them down because the stupid guys left the addresses and stuff on so the police they've they done something yeah. to I don't know what I don't really want to know to be fair but, but it wasn't good so the family is quite affected in a, in a pretty bad way for a couple of weeks and I, I just chose to come off games myself I just wasn't in the right frame of mind so Did you think about Calling it a day then uh, and there? Not really, no. Well, I've said before, I'm a pretty strong person at times. I can be a bit weak at times, and I was I had to be strong for the family that week, and you know, and it was it was tough. And and, and you know, I get messages off. I won't say it, but players are, are sending messages into the Premier League, and, and people are sending me texts, and you know, people haven't heard from from years, kind of sending you messages, everything's okay. And I had West Ham probably surprisingly four weeks later, which I was quite surprised to get them so soon. And the suit ticket was sent off. I apologised to him straight away. He'd come over and been great.
So. Probably, a good, probably a good thing yeah. you got them so soon. Actually. I think so. Yeah. Sometimes you probably not just lances it. Doesn't yeah, it? it's done it. It's um, it, it's tough, you know. But it was it was good to get them again, and you know, it's parking to move on now, and hopefully it'll never happen again. I've gone again eight weeks to be in the clear for eight weeks, and we're done then. Now, so <laughs> eight weeks keep me keep me so clear. <laughs> but it still makes you emotional. I don't, yeah, no, yeah. There's no reason. There's no reason why it shouldn't John, still John make you emotional. Only because it affects. No, me, my wife and my, my two kids, my grandson, because he got a bit of stick as well, so which wasn't good. But it's it's tough, but it happens. I mean, I'm sure players have have had stuff, and, and they've been emotional talking about stuff like that. You know, younger players than me, I'm I'm 50. I was 53 when it happened, or 52, and I bet your players of 18, 19, they've had stuff threatening stuff, and they, and they probably don't know how to handle it. People, I've got a good set of friends, and I've got people within the organisation have helped me out, and players. Luckily enough, I've got support of all the colleagues within within the club, and. And all and all the all the backroom staff and, and majors and agents and things like that and people who can help them out. We've got a good group as well, and I think they probably got me through as well, which is good. So you didn't call it a day then. Why now? Why call it a day now? Because I think it's time. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was going to finish last year. If I'm going to be honest with you, one or two things changed, so I kind of stayed for one more year. But I think it's 53, 54 in, in July. I think that I've had 22 years at it. I've had a good innings at it, as everybody says. You know. It, um, my body's not the same as it has been. It never will be, you know. So um, you get more aches and pains, longer to recover. My knees aren't the best as they are, you know. I'm not saying I can't get through games, but they're not the best. Recovery time takes a bit longer. You know, I still give 100% every week without a shadow of a doubt, but I just think it's time to move on to maybe whatever's around the corner. I don't know yet. Training-wise, yeah. what is your... If you if you have a game on a Saturday, yeah. just talk me through what your how you train for that game on a Saturday and then what distance you'll cover on a Saturday? Yeah, I mean, if I have a game on a Saturday, I'll do recovery on a Sunday, just in the gym on the bike for half an hour, 40 minutes, probably rest on Monday, do a bit of strength stuff and then train Tuesday, Wednesday. I'll know my game by the Monday for the following week, so I'll probably train Tuesday, play golf with the lads on a Wednesday. Right. That's Is that an important part of the, that's an important part yeah, of the routine? Gets me steps in. And then I'll train <laughs> Thursday or Friday, depending if my game's the following Saturday or Sunday, and then we go from there to the same thing every week. And then obviously we come here every two weeks with the refs and, and train, which is something that we missed for the two years with COVID, which was pretty tough for everybody. So and your distances are uh, weekend? It depends. I mean, when I was a young, fleet-footed, skinny referee, I could probably do... 12 or 13k a game, but I'm more like a 9 or a 10 now because I can read a game better. That's what Absolutely. I, I did hear you say, no, hang on, I did, say, I did hear you say, it may have been on the Crouch podcast or it may have been with Cheebs of Karen. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Remember that if you give a decision from 30 yards mm. away now, then that's fine because you're experienced and... That seniority or dynamics can affect yeah, communication. I, I, I think it can. I, th yeah. I think that you could have a lesser, less experienced referee mm. trying to send me over to the screen. Yeah. Without, again, without being begetted. No, 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 no. We've, we've discussed this I've, on air. I've been on for 20 years, and the guy who's been on for two or three years says, Dino, and he's got to look at the screen, yeah. red card. I'm thinking, I've been on for 20 years here. But there's a reason he sent me over, because I made a clear and obvious mistake, which is fine. I think once we get out of the, the, the mindset of 
seniority of who's refereeing and who's not refereeing. We're all in a match official. We've got the decision right on the day, which we hopefully will get to do. The, the whole point of this is not to go through specific incidents, but this incident then leads me on to another question. The Suchek Mitrovic red card from a yeah. couple of years ago. Yeah. When you were looking at the screen, can you talk me through that process? I've seen the decision on the, fi on the field and I was more than happy to, to go yellow. I think it was yellow card. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even do anything. Yeah. And then all the players were happy. And then I think I've said to the VR, I think the players are comfortable and Mitrovic has kind of overreacted a bit. Or, 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 you know, yes, yeah, oh, he has, yeah. And I'm happy with the yeah. yellow card. Then you wait a bit and all of a sudden you hear the VR saying, you need to go look at the screen, you need to show you something. There's been a a movement of the player, I think it was a face or a punch, I can't quite remember. He, he just kind of put his elbow on. So he's, he's Once he had his useful, he's yeah. seen the pitches. And I'm kind of going over thinking it's not. Very, very hard to stick with the on-field decision when he gets down to it. I said before, it's very, very hard, but I wish I had off. So it would have saved me a hell of a lot of trouble out off the pitch off that game as well. Yeah, and therefore that brings us full circle to, oh, you can take the joke and criticism and stuff. But it got dark after yeah. that, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, it wasn't good. So, But it was just... Um, it was just stuff that I, I drove on the, on the on the Saturday, and then my daughter's obviously she's had some stuff through because she's on social media. I'm not. Mm. She got death threats. They, they said they knew where we live. We're going to um, petrol on me house, that kind of stuff. So that was pretty pretty bad to be fair. So told the Premier League. The Premier League got police involved. I reported to the police. Police come round. And and to be fair, sometimes you, you try and keep it hush hush because you don't want people to know. But my wife said just let's get out there and let people know what's going on. You know. So we are you now players get grief. They get threats I mean, you see all the stuff that's happening now with the players getting their houses built and stuff like that yeah. so you know we need a bit more protection and I think that because um, I made it quite public and luckily enough for me I think they found who the people were I think the people in Ireland so they, they traced them down because the stupid guys left the addresses and stuff on so the police they, they've done something yeah. to you I don't know what I don't really want to know to be fair but, but it wasn't good so the family was quite affected in a, in a pretty bad way for a couple of weeks and I, I just chose to come off games myself I just wasn't the right friend of mine so did you think about calling it a day then uh, and there? Not really, no. Well, like I said before, I'm a pretty strong person at times. I can be a bit weak at times and I was I had to be strong for the family that week and, you know, and it was it was tough and, and, and you know, I get a message off, I won't say it, but players are, are sending messages into the Premier League and, and people sending me texts and, you know, people I haven't heard from from years kind of sending you messages, everything's okay and I had West Ham probably surprisingly four weeks later, which I was quite surprised to get him so soon and the suit checker was sent off, I apologised to him straight away, he'd come over and been great. Probably a, good, probably a good thing yeah. you got them so soon, actually. I think so, yeah. Sometimes you probably not... Just lances it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it's done it. It's, um, it. it's tough, you know, but it was it was good to get them again and, you know, it's parking to move on now and hopefully it'll never happen again. I've, Mate, got, I've gone and got eight weeks to be in the clear for eight weeks and I'm done then. <laughs> eight weeks to get me, get me <laughs> to <start> clear. <laughs> but it still makes you emotional. Oh, no, yeah, no, yeah. No, there's, no reason, there's no reason why it John, shouldn't still John make you emotional. Yeah, because it affects my, me, my wife and my, my two kids and my grandson because he got a bit of stick as well, so which wasn't good, but... It's, it's tough, but it happens. I mean, I'm sure players have, have had stuff and, and they've been emotional talking about stuff like that. You know, younger players than me, I'm, I'm 50, I was 53 when it happened, or 52, and I bet your players of 18, 19 have had stuff, threatening stuff, and, and they probably don't know how to handle it. People, I've got a good set of friends and I've got people within the organisation have helped me out, and players, luckily enough, I've got support of all the colleagues within, within the club and, and, all, and all, the, all the backroom staff and, and majors and agents and things like that and people that can help them out. We've got a good group as well and I think they probably got me through as well, which is good. So you didn't call it a day then, why now? Why call it a day now? Because I think it's time. Yeah? Yeah, I think. I was going to finish last year, if I'm going to be honest with you. One or two things changed, so I kind of stayed for one more year, but I think 
53 and 54 in, in July, I think, that I've had 22 years at it, I've had a good innings at it, as everybody says, you know, it's, um, my body's not the same as it has been, it never will be, you know, so um, you get more aches and pains, longer to recover, my knees aren't the best as they are, you know, I'm not saying I can't get through games, but they're not the best, recovery time takes a bit longer, you know, I still give 100% every week without a shadow of a doubt, but... I just think it's time to move on to maybe whatever's around the corner, I don't know yet. Training-wise, yeah. what is your... If you, if you have a game on a Saturday, yeah. just talk me through what your, how you train for that game on a Saturday and then what distance you'll cover on a Saturday. Yeah, I mean, if you have a game on a Saturday, I'll do recovery on a Sunday, just in the gym on the bike for half an hour, 40 minutes, probably rest on Monday, do a bit of strength stuff and then train Tuesday, Wednesday. I'll know my game by the Monday for the following week, so I'll probably train Tuesday. Play golf with the lads on a Wednesday. Right. That's more Is that an important part of the? That's important part yeah, of the routine. Gets me steps in, and then <laughs> I train Thursday or Friday, depending if my games are following Saturday or Sunday, and then we go from there. It's the same thing every week, and then obviously we come here every two weeks with the refs and, and train, which is something that we missed for the two years with COVID, which was pretty tough for everybody. So, and your distances a week? It depends. Work? I mean, when I was a young, fleet-footed, skinny referee, I could probably do. 12 or 13k a game, but I'm more like a 9 or a 10 now because I can read the game better. That's right. Absolutely. I did hear you say, no, hang on, I did say, I did hear you say, it may have been on the Crouch podcast or it may have been with Tubes, I can't remember, that if you give a decision from 30 yards mm. away now, then that's fine because you're experienced and you don't need to be right in it as a young referee. I, I think would. If, you, if you've got the experience and you can afford to make a decision from a certain distance without doing it from the halfway line, <laughs> you can kind of get away with it. But I think you've got to put the work in early to get respect that players make the decision. You know, the easy blow of your whistle and just spin another five yards while you're blowing the whistle it looks if you're a bit close. <laughs> got to play mind games. I, I like all these yeah, techniques. Right. I like all these techniques. Um, what's your proudest achievement footballer? to be at the top for, for 22 years. You know, players can be at the top for 22 years. Not many, but some can be. Some players don't want it. I think I've kept myself in pretty decent shape. That, well, since 80, 95, I'm at the Football League line, so it's, it's 27 years, you know, that, that being at the top as, as a top-class official. But I think just being in the position I've been in for the last 22 years and refereeing the best lot of football ever, be having the best seat of the house every week and not having to pay for it's ideal. And just watching so many different players and so many great games I've been involved in. And just, I think just that... Being involved in such a great sport, I love football from from a kid watching Tramia. So it's it's just I'll, I'll miss it terribly next year. I, I really will. I don't know what it'll be like come August, but we shall see. That's a hugely important thing you say because a lot of ex pros will say always go on about ex players being referees because oh if you haven't played at the highest level you don't know this you don't know that. But I mean you love football. You, you're not in it because the referee is a career path for you. You're in it well, started, because you love football. When I started refereeing in '95. It wasn't a full-time job, you know, people used to have to work in a bank and then go on referee or when I got in the Football League middle in 97, it still wasn't full-time. We got around 90, 99, 2000, we were going to go full-time and obviously now I know there's guys, young guys now who are referees at 16, 17, are looking as a pathway to move into referee as a career. But when I first started, it wasn't a career. So you love it? Yeah, I love it, yeah. I just, I just love football full stop from any level. But I'll, I'll miss it horrendously bad in August. Come August the 6th, when the first... The first day of the season is and people are walking out, I'll be devastated. I think I'll be okay in May, I think, but I don't know. Have you been told at all what your final Premier League game no, may be? I, no, I won't get told probably till the week before. I'd like to try... Are you allowed to ask? Would you be, surely you'd be allowed to ask? You probably could, but it also depends what's at stake with, with, with leagues and, and promotion and relegation and stuff like that. So I wouldn't probably want to be involved in a game 
that involved maybe someone winning the league or someone right. getting relegated because I think if I make a decision in that game it's the wrong decision God forbid yeah. and it costs us in the league or relegating then I'd rather be just, just be out of that let somebody else take the grief that weekend and I don't know if West Ham are at home on the final day but I'm guessing you don't want West Ham at home because well, you always look a bit miffed at the bubbles going flying past don't, your face don't get it <laughs> Well, I miss it. I miss it terrible. But I, I, don't, I don't know what the next chapter is. I've got to wait to see what I'm going to do. So, um, do you love other sport? Football, golf. I love okay. me golf. I love me golf. So you've caddied for Lydia, haven't you? Yeah, a few times. Yeah, yeah. it's been quite good. So I mean, I've I done it for probably the last five or six years, and I'll still try and do two or three a year. Hopefully, get a couple in this year, and we'll go from there. But Are you a good caddy, or when when she asks for the putter, do you kind of do that and not look at her? I, I, I do okay. Do I've done okay with a few of them, yeah, which to be fair. I've had a couple of good ones, which has been nice over the last couple of years. But cricket? Yeah, I go and watch cricket. Can you be a cricket again. umpire? Nah. I'm I can imagine you with the Rudy Kurtz nah, and my slow... I haven't got the patience for that. No? no. Slow finger of death? No. I like watching it, but I couldn't stand up there for six hours and that eat. Waiting for something to happen. Um, so. Do you have a favourite game that you've ref? Yeah, Man City QPR. Right. 100%. Has to be. You know, bear in mind, what was the stake? I don't think it'll ever happen again. You know, team winning on goal, different spaces, score, last kick of the match. Yellow yeah. card for taking a shot. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, but got to be done. Bit of a stick over that. Um, but, yeah, I think... If, if he'd already been on... I know you've been... I think you've been <laughs> on... But if he'd already been on a yellow yeah. card, what on earth would you have done? I took the hit. Would you? No, I told him not done it, yeah. I wouldn't have done it, no. So. Oh, right, fine. Yeah, God, I thought you meant you would have, no, you would no, have done I, it and I then... I took the after boss to say, why didn't I say, bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah, bigger picture. And plus that, it was 90 plus whatever. But that didn't happen when I was... I'd done City a few years later when Sterling jumped in the crowd and he was already on the yellow. And I sat in the for that as well, so it's managing at the right time. How much can you take the bigger picture into... I can, I can take the bigger picture, especially like, you know, if someone goes towards the crowd and all of a sudden there's loads of spectators jumping on him, they always got someone saying, Lee, if he's going to the crowd, he ain't. If, if you're by the side of the crowd and someone jumps on your back and then you go in the crowd, you can't caution the goal scorer because he hasn't gone on his own, someone's made him go in. Right, so that was your favourite game. Favourite, have you got a favourite ex-player that you've refereed? I think the likes of Henri and Burkamp and Vieira and people like that, that we know that when they were top players at the time when they were in there, it was just a good year, good time to be involved with football yeah. then, so... Was it easier to referee then? As in you could let more go, couldn't you? I think you let more go, yeah. I think tackling's obviously different now as people have seen through the years. You know, can you tackle? Yes, you can. If you get the ball and you go through the back of the guy, is that fair? No, it's not. Whereas 10 years ago, it probably was. Is it harder to get into your head now? Actually, there is nothing wrong with that, but the new rules suggest that there is something wrong yeah. with that, so I'm going to have to do something that I know will make me be, you know, hammered, but... Yeah, but you've got to, it, it's got to move with the times. I mean, players are the same. Players are aware that ten years ago they couldn't tackle as they, as they, as they can, as they could, but they can't do it now. So, and plus the fact the players that need their, the players need protecting. So you can't, you know, you go back twenty years ago and tackles went in. Yes, players need protecting, but it was different then. It was different. Like you shouldn't use the word money, but money was involved mm. then. And play, you, you're not spending. You weren't spending hundred fifty million pounds on a footballer. Right? You paid him X amount of thousand pounds a week to get someone smashing from behind and be out for the season. So you've got to look after the bigger picture again. You've got to look after players on the pitch. That's my job. Um, most intimidating manager? I think it has to be Arson. I think when Arson was was at Arsenal, I always found it. Always found it tough. Not refereeing Arsenal in general. I found it tough refereeing Arsenal when he was the manager. But he, I think it's just his presence, and I think he wanted just the best for Arsenal all the time. And if you get any way of trying to get get one over, and he would try and do it. But he was he was he was tough to, to communicate with and get on with. But since he's finished football, I've seen him since then. He's he's been great. But again, it's just like cross the white line. Everybody's different, as you probably found out with me today. It, it is different. You know, you don't when you get to speak to people like us. We are normal people. We're not like referees, and that's all we do. We don't yeah. go home and just lock ourselves away for a week. Right, very quickly because I know we're on air yeah. time. What was it like to referee Micah? 
was, he was all right. It was, could be hard work. Yeah. He thought he was better than what he was, to mm. be fair. Yeah. <laughs> he was all right. But he, then he kind of drifted away, didn't he, at the end? He kind yeah. of just fizzled up from Man City and just kind of disappeared. Now he's just touched lucky on, on BBC somehow. Uh, he, he's yeah. touched very, very no lucky. How he's got that job. And uh, did you ever referee Chris or Chris retired to Celtic? Oh, Chris had retired by then. Chris had yeah. retired. He'd gone back up north for the easy <laughs> football, yeah. I know you don't know what you're going to do, so I'm not going to ask you that. But if Tranmere are away on the first day of next season, you'll go and watch Tranmere away. No. No? Because I've got a wedding in Scotland. <laughs> and see, I think the season starts for Football League 31st of July. And yeah. I've got a wedding in Scotland on the 1st of August and I'm going up on the Saturday. Okay. Unless they're playing Carlisle. Right, because that's where the wedding is. No, but it's just not far from Carlisle. I can just nip over the ball. Nip right. And, and if the referee has a shocker? I'll tell him. One final. Could you have done this more in your career? Yeah, I could have, yeah. Would it have helped? Yeah, I think it would have helped supporters, players, managers. The general public who don't like football, media. But it'll change. It will change over the next few years, trust me. Whether it, whether it's me or whether it's somebody else. But the more we come and speak about, not necessarily our, our personal journey, just mm. about what goes on the field of play in the afternoon and get people more aware of stuff, I think it's a lot better. I think the it's, bigger, it's the bigger picture. It's it not is. about saying, why did you get that wrong or this wrong? No. It's about knowing you as a human being and the bigger picture. I'm trying to explain this yes. as well. You know, it's, it's not worth... I know they say, oh, why can't you go and speak afterwards in a press conference? But they're not going to ask me to a press no. conference this week and say, talk us through how well you were this week, Mike. What a great game you've had. Well, I was good at this. The only one you're in when you made a mistake always is. Not to do your good bits. Could we hear your decisions during a game like we do with you rugby could, union th- and NFL I and so on? I think it could happen. I think it could happen in the future. But we'll have to wait and see. Thank God I'm finishing because the stuff I said, I'd never get away with it. I'd be sacked before I But we shall see. Let's. But we committee. And it was. Fascinating how he said Jurgen Klopp's always going to be the man that chooses the players. Once Jurgen Klopp identifies a certain player, then it's up to that committee tend to go and find the player or find four or five in the right position. Then it's up to the manager. So in terms of what Thomas Tuchel's got to work with, Julian said it, and the word he used there was bodies. And that's what they need because I've been on pre-season camps when you have been light. And I've been at clubs like you know West Ham and Sunderland in the Premier League. Liverpool many, many years ago, Everton as well. But we're talking a club the size of Chelsea trying to get close to a magnificent team in Liverpool and a remarkable side and team and manager in Guardiola. So it's not just bodies that's going to fill a squad that's going to come in the dressing room and make it healthy. And look, right, you've got, you know, you've got guys that are going to be squad players. Losing the likes of Lukaku, it means you need to go out and buy number nine. You know, Timo Werner, I don't think is going to be the man as much as I love him, the much I think... When I've seen him in, in Germany, in the, in the Bundesliga, phenomenal player, can play different positions. I think you watch him in a Chelsea shirt and the confidence is gone. I'm not sure you can get it back, even though the, the performances that he's put in has been quite helpful to, to Kai Havertz and the players around him. But you are looking at a serious number if you are saying, not just where me and Jules, and that's why I asked the question about top four, because top four is the Champions League spots. That's where you want to be. But a number to try and get close to Man City and Liverpool? You're looking at half a dozen at least. A couple of transfer moves we've discussed in recent episodes of the Football Daily are Raheem Sterling to Chelsea, Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal. I want to discuss why these moves are significant. Um, Jules, the last time City allowed a first-teamer to join another big six club other than on a free transfer was was 10 years ago. Now they mm. could be set to sell two players for, for big money at the same time. Why is Pep having this overhaul? Is this an evolution of his squad? What is it? 
Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. It's contractual situations as well, considering they both have only one year left on the contract. So you, you know, you you can extend them, but maybe you you feel like with Holland coming and and Julian Alvarez coming, and maybe more, you feel like okay, it's, it's a good time to to sell them, get some money. You know that if you sell to another top six English clubs, as as risky in a way that is because it could come back to bite you when you play against them in the Premier League. They have more money than anybody else in Europe. They offer biggest wages than anybody else in Europe. So you've got more chances to do a good deal with Arsenal or Chelsea than to do a good deal with a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or even a Bayern Munich or PSG. So that's why I think right now they are in contact with with those English clubs to sell Sterling and Gabriel Jesus because the interest is strong. I really believe that Chelsea, we talked about Dembele earlier, I think Sterling is similar in the sense that they need someone like him to beat players one-on-one, to to play wide, use use that width of the pitch instead of having those two tens I, I think Tuchel is going to change the formation next season. It has to because there, there's no way they're signing three centre-backs this summer. So I think they will have to play back four and change a little bit the philosophy and then maybe play with wingers or at least one one really wide player who could be Sterling or Dembele. And for Gabriel Jesus, Arteta has worked with him before. You could see why he would want him at the club. And I think for City, it makes sense because they could get more money than from those two clubs than they would get anywhere else in Europe. Don, do you think this sort of rondo between the big six is going to become more and more prevalent now because very simply they can sell their top assets for top dollar everyone's got money in the Premier League you know you look Mm. at clubs outside of the top six Villa spending loads and loads of money and we'll be talking about Mm. them in a moment Newcastle have got money they're not in the top six you know even newly promoted sides Fulham they've got money they're just a bit sort of hesitant about spending it at the moment Mm. do you think we're going to see this giant sort of rondo appearing I think so. I, I think, you know, after COVID now, I think we'll see a lot of teams sort of loosen the purse strings and have a real good go because the Premier League's alive. It's it's a phenomenal train that's just getting bigger and faster every single season. I think, obviously, it took a massive dent and a massive hit with COVID and, and, and no one knew really how to react because it was unprecedented times. But now we're looking at teams, as you mentioned, like Villa trying to get into the European spots, Newcastle now trying to get into European spots, you know, the teams that come up, they might find it a little bit harder because it's always a little bit difficult. So they've got a little bit, try and be a bit shrewd on how, how they go about things. But I would always, going back to Guardiola and, and, and Raheem Sterling and, and Jesus, I would always trust Guardiola's methods. I think he's a manager that knows exactly what he's doing. I was stunned probably two or three seasons ago when Leroy Sane went out the door and I thought, what a signing he's been or what a player he could be what a player he was at the time and they're allowed to believe because that's how Guardiola sees it. He thinks he can make players better. As Jules said, Alvarez is coming in, Haaland's coming in, they're looking at Kukurea, Brighton, who's a good player. Um, eight Nori, I think, is one to watch at Wolves. I think he'll probably go to a big club. That'll be his next big move. So I think it's very, very fascinating now when you're looking at all the teams. Arsenal, obviously, had a great window last summer. They're going to have a go. I mean, if they get Jesus through the door, what a window they've had. So you can see how desperate everyone is to try and get in those European spots and the top four because, as we've talked about Chelsea, you know there was probably one spot that was open last season because Arsenal were off it, Man United were off it, um, Tottenham were off it as well. Now, all of a sudden, with Chelsea's problems, there could be two spots available. So everyone's sort of going for it. It's going to be an amazing watch to see how everyone spends their money. Absolutely. Let's push on and talk Aston Villa now. Because the pressure on on Stephen Gerrard and the expectation 
is humongous. Bit of an underwhelming finish to last season, finishing 14th, three places and 10 points worse off than Dean Smith's final full season uh, in charge. They, they've spent money. Bubakar Kamara's coming on a free. Diego Carlos signing for a fee of around £27 million. And Felipe Coutinho uh, from Barcelona, £17 million. Um, Jules, he's got to get it right this year because they're, they're backing him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it was still a good... Certainly since from the moment Gerard took over, I think a couple of games before the end of the season, they were eighth, if you had counted the games that Stevie was in charge of the team. So I don't think it was as bad as maybe the the end, the, 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 the last table of the season maybe looked. They had some really good games, really good performances, really good moments. We saw a Mati Cash, for example, almost transformed completely by Gerard and by the, the, the new identity of the team. Um, yes, they had deeper form. I'm not really sure how you how you explain it, really. But but it was a bit up and down. I give you that. I still think they're on the right path. And those transfers. I mean, Camara. I know him so well from from Marseille, and he's he's a, a fantastic signing. I remember when Gerard um, went to Marseille to watch him. Was at the Velodrome to watch him play. And I put it on, on Twitter, and people were like, "There's no way. There's no way they can sign him. You know, why would he go there? Blah 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 blah." Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. He went there because he liked the project. He went there because he wanted to work with TVG because himself as a defensive midfielder, he knew there was a lot of things to learn every day at training with Gerard, and rightly so. Then they go on San Diego Carlos, who is a Champions League, he's a Champions League centre-back. Yes, at times he's a bit rash and he makes some, some crazy decisions at times, but he will learn as well. But I, I think he will fit really well in that team and really well in the Premier League too. So they, I think they're on a good path. But you're right; they, the pressure will be high because that investment, that investment brings the pressure with it. To be fair, so mm. it'd be yeah, it'd be it'd be really interesting. I I, I believe in him. I think he's going to be an amazing manager. Aaron, there was one point last season when I was watching all of Villa's games, and they went up to St James's Park and played Newcastle, and it was quite an iconic sort of picture and, and, and a moment where you'd never sort of put the two things together. And it was Stevie G sat in his manager's chair in the dugout at St. James's Park and he was slumped and he was sort of like lying down off his seat. And what I saw there was a manager watching his players and the last 20 minutes of the game, I was watching him and I was looking at the manager thinking, I know exactly what he's thinking here. And he's watching the game unfold and his team were a mile off it, were getting walloped. And Stevie G was thinking, you'll be gone, you'll be gone, you'll be gone. <laughs> And you'll be gone. Uh, it's been fun. Don, see you later, pal. Yeah. See you later. See you later. Thank Top you, guys, Donning. Thanks for listening to The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. The podcast will be available online at myjoyonline.com in 30 minutes. This production was powered by Joy Sports and supported by the BBC World Service.
Shalom, my dear friend. I am Pastor Tuapa. There is no better way to start your day than in the presence of God. I invite you to join me on your favorite devotion program, Joy Timing His Presence, every Tuesday and Wednesday from 4 a.m. to 5.45 a.m. on Joy 99.7 FM.